0: Right, let's uh, just, again, review that little basic event, the first chapter, the book of Daniel. If you want to look at it later, it's found on 716 in your pew Bible. If uh, um, you can't uh, read it now, you want to read it later, feel free to take the Bible with you. We're uh, glad to have anyone uh, possess the uh, Written word of God to, to read it at any time that they, uh, they want to. You might uh, go ahead and just read it now, and I'll just be sort of muzak in your background. But you can't go wrong reading the word. But Nebuchadnezzar has brought his first siege. Now that's Babylon. That's the king, that's the kingdom that's to the north of the nation of the people of God. And comes in, takes siege of the land, ransacks the temple, takes some of the, the finest furniture, this, this first voyage into Jerusalem, and then comes and, and, and takes some of the finest furniture from the temple there to the God of Yahweh and takes it back to Babylon to be in the pagan temple. And then he takes the, the cream of the crop of the people, you know, the, the Rhodes Scholars, the academic All-Americans. He grabs them and takes them with him back to Babylon to serve in kingdom this is the beginning of what we've historically called in the church the exile where god brings nebuchadnezzar allows nebuchadnezzar to come and destroy the promised land and to rip the people out Of their homes, of the city of Jerusalem, and of the temple, and takes them as slaves back into their land. Where there they're forced to be strangers in a strange land. There they're forced to live in exile, yet to continue to live under the lordship of Yahweh, of their Creator, of their God. See, what was happening we're told through the Scriptures and even in Daniel a little later on, is that the people of Israel were not faring well in their worldly success. In other words, they were very successful in the world. And what often happens is when you get successful in the world, your success in God's eyes begins to diminish. And that's what happened with Israel. They were, in a sense, getting too comfortable with the world and we're neglecting, forgetting, ignoring, growing weary of their relationship with God. And so, out of mercy and compassion, God sends the exile, sends Nebuchadnezzar, sends the Babylonians in to, to wrench them out so that they'll wake up from their stupor, so that they will once again turn back to God and, and live in, in harmony with Him in His mercy. In his grace. And what we see in Daniel. Is some of the beginning lessons. Of how to live as a stranger. In a strange land. How to live. In exile. How to live in a place. Where the rules and the culture and the traditions. Are different. Than the ones God is calling us to live by. I hope you see the parallels. I hope that it's, it's clear that today we live in a day, in an age, and a land where the church of Jesus Christ has less and less popular influence or even the influence that it has is shown to really be rather shallow. I mean, every year, whoever takes different uh, census comes back with greater report of how people are less and less interested in religion. The fastest growing religious group is unaffiliated. Those that really don't care and don't know. There is no county, no county in the entire United States... Where the church, the Christian church in that county, has kept up with population growth. Not a single county in the United States. There is no escape from Babylon. There is no escaping the truth that we are strangers in a strange land. That we are living in exile that we are living in a land, in a place, in a day, in an age, when the, the rules of our world are not the rules of our God. When the dreams of our world are not the dreams of our God. It was the same thing that Daniel and his buddies had to face. Now, there's, they had a decision to make living in exile. There's three basic options here. If, you, if you're a note taker, even if you think about notes, or maybe even if you know how to write, I encourage you to take out something to write with. Because here are three words that would be good to just think about over time. Three words that present the basic decision that Daniel and the three had to make. And it's the basic ways that we interact With our world. The decision we make about how to interact in our world. The first word is assimilation. Assimilation. Where you decide to assimilate into the culture. You just do what you need to do to survive. And be nice and kind about doing it. Smile a lot. Say praise the Lord. You know, in the assimilation, you know, Jesus calls us other places to say, be in the world, but not of it. Well, in assimilation, you're both in the world and of it. You just assimilate right in. You just do it because everybody else is doing it. You know, if, if it takes lying, cheating and stealing to get ahead in business, well, that's what you do. But you do it when you have a cross around your neck. In assimilation, you just forget the rules. I mean, the rules don't apply anymore. We just live by the world's rules. And, and, but we are loving and kind while we live by the world's rules. We simply decide to conform to the ways of the world. That's assimilation. The other option is separation. Separation. You can assimilate into the world or you can separate from the world. Daniel could have, and those guys could have assimilated, which is just to be quiet. It would have been a really short book then. Just be quiet and just do what you're supposed to do. Do it nicely. Or they could have separated. Total refusal. Nebuchadnezzar, you're an evil king and you've done horrendous things and I'm not going to have anything to do with you. I refuse to participate in what you are doing. That's separation. For Daniel, that would have meant probably the separation of his head from his body also. But for others today... You know, what can be decided to do is to live in our own, is to separate and live in our own Christian gated communities. To live in our Christian ghettos. As someone told me yesterday, our Christian parallel universes. You know, the world has YouTube, so we'll just develop GodTube. That's an internet video sharing thing not into that. Or the world has the yellow pages. Well, we've got the Christian yellow pages. The world has TVs and movies, so we just have Christian TV stations and Christian movies. The separation might not be of the world, but you're not in it either. The the, the separatist says we're going to keep the rules no matter what. If Jesus said we're supposed to walk around in sandals, let's wear sandals. We oppose the world because they are the enemy. So those are the two extreme options. Assimilation, separation. and, And the one that's in the middle is what uh, missionaries call contextualization. How to live out the gospel. How to follow God in our own context. That's where the word comes from. Contextualization. How do we live it out in our own context, our own situation, in our own particular lives? Our own schools, our own places of work, our own neighborhood, our own communities, in our own day and age. How do we live it out? How do we live with Jesus today? And of course, Jesus is the greatest example of contextualization. Right? He became human. He put the gospel directly in the context of the world. He was the greatest example of one who lived in the world, but... Not of it. I mean, he spoke the language. He wore the clothes. He ate the food. He even turned water into wine. He went to the parties. He faithfully did the re- religious meetings. He obeyed the law, but perfectly lived according to the way of the Father the way of love, the way of service, of giving, of honesty. He taught God's ways and he lived them. He healed people, he helped people. He worked against evil and worked for good. He was in the world but not of it. He participated in the structures of the world, in their imperfections, but without compromising or defiling himself. The rules may not help all the time. Matter of fact, he broke a few because they no longer worked in his particular context. But he was obedient perfectly to his relationship with his father he was not conformed but as the scriptures tell us he was transformed he grew in wisdom and obedience assimilation be in the world and of it separation don't be in the world really don't be of it either Or contextualization. Be in the world, but not of it. Let's look at Daniel and these guys. How exactly did they decide what was before them as they had this basic decision before him? If you look at the the passage, you recall what was presented to Daniel. They were asked, really, four things. They were to serve in the king's court. They were for three years to go through a college, in a sense, of the literature and the language, the poetry and the stories of Babylon. They were to eat the food off and the wine off the king's table. And they were to receive new names. What's fascinating to me, and one day I can't wait to see Daniel and say, Daniel! Really, why would you choose the one you chose? And why did you say the others were okay? What really was there? We're not really told why, but what we're told is that Daniel felt that if he were to partake of the food and wine off the king's table, he would defile himself before God and he couldn't participate in that. He was fine with serving in the king's court. This is Nebuchadnezzar. You know, this is the guy that just ransacked him, that grabbed him and brought him into slavery. And he's like, okay, I'll serve on the king's court. And we're told he did faithfully for many years. He was fine with learning the, the literature and the language, the poetry and the stories and the history of Babylon. He went with that he was even fine with having his name changed and all of their names had some reference to Elohim or Yahweh to to God and then they took names that didn't he was fine with that I I can only guess that he he served in the king's court because he saw the way that God had even ordained Nebuchadnezzar as king to care for the people of Babylon And, and that was a way that he could serve the people I can only guess that as uh, Arthur Holmes taught at Wheaton College for many years, all truth is God's truth. So he was willing to, to hear the stories and to, to look for how God was showing His truth, even in the literature of pagan Babylon. And, and I guess he was familiar with Shakespeare. A rose by any other name is still a rose. So it didn't matter what the names Were but somehow, food, which certainly has a strong biblical component to it, was what would align him with Nebuchadnezzar. Would somehow he would be saying Nebuchadnezzar is my highest authority, my greatest allegiance, and we refuse to say that. It was some distinguishing mark or behavior that he had caught from his upbringing and his training, to know that that's where he needed to draw the line. It probably wasn't that the food was dedicated to idols or that it wasn't properly prepared because that would have been the same with the vegetables as well. Somehow, it was something deeper than that. The key point, though, the key point is verse 8, that he chooses to do something. That he doesn't just assimilate. He doesn't just say whatever you say, king. He is critical of everything he's told to do. And filters it through. So that then he's able to stand up and say. That I cannot do. He resolved in his heart. To not defile himself. That's. To me, that's the key passage of the script, of the whole book, when it comes to Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. That they resolved in their heart not to defile themselves as they lived in exile. So I think that's the key point for us. As you consider, reflect, Think about your own lives, in our lives, in this day and age, in this time and space. What are the ways that we're tempted to defile ourselves as we live in exile? What are the ways that we're tempted to eat the fine, rich food and wine off the king's table? I mean, today we're not going to get into specifics because the story goes on, and that will help lead us into specifics, But today, the ultimate goal is simply to say, simply to pursue, are we open to look? Are we open with, with diligence, to see the ways that the world might be conforming us into its mold? Are you, are you willing to explore with God ways that, that you, ways that we have, have bought into the American dream instead of God's dream? Ways that we've, we've bought into the church's dream instead of God's dream. Way we've bought into our family's dream instead of God's dream. Way we've bought into the world's dream instead of God's dream. if nothing more, as we leave from here this morning, that that we would be asking God, show me, show me this week, how I've been defiled by the world instead of pure for you. Whether it's at work or school, in our relationships, in our home, in the church, in our neighborhood, our community... See, the assumption of Daniel's day was that you had to eat rich food from the king's table, otherwise you won't thrive. You'll just survive. That was a wrong assumption. And Daniel proved it wrong. What are the ways that we eat of the king's rations and it defiles us? Again, look at Daniel and how he dealt with it here. There was no escape from Babylon, so work with it. That's what he did. He was was firm, yet gentle. He he wasn't even willing to put the pagan leader in harm's way. He put himself in harm's way, and he did it quietly, quietly. He wasn't this bold, in your face, I'm not going to do it. He, he resolved in his heart to not be defiled. And as quietly and softly and gently yet firmly, he went forward. He found a way to do it. He was guided and cared for by God. And God was faithful. Throughout, God was faithful. As we've been singing all morning, God was faithful to Daniel in exile. We can't... The reason the bars are up there as a fence, as some separating, is that we can't escape being in exile. It's the reality of our world. But you know, fences not only keep us in, but fences also protect us. We can't escape being in exile, and we can't escape God's presence with us while we are in it. You would think that in Babylon, God would be absent. The point of this whole book is to say no. God is present no matter what Babylon you might be living in, no matter what exile you're in, no matter how strange the world in which you live, God is present there. And able to strengthen you, to strengthen us, to face the temptations we have of eating and drinking off the king's table when that is what will defile us. They are greatly successful here. God gives them favor and shows their success to all that will see it. And what we're told at the very end is that that continues throughout the exile. Verse 21, the last verse, Daniel continued there until the first year of King Cyrus. Well, when King Cyrus came on the throne is when the exile was ending, is when he sent them back into the promised land. The point that Daniel wants to show here is that there's no escaping the exile. And there's no escaping God right in the middle of it. So don't just give up and assimilate. Don't give up and separate, but be right in the middle of it because that's exactly where God is. In the world in which you live, the exile in which you are, being strangers in your strange land, you may think you have no connection to God. You're wrong. God's there and you're there. God's there and we're there. There's no escape from our world and there's no escape from God. May we, like Daniel, resolve to be in it, but not of it. May we, like Daniel, resolve in our hearts to not be defiled or compromised. As the musicians get ready and the deacons prepare to take our offering, I invite you during this time to, to offer not only the resources that fit in the plate, but to offer up your own lives as a, as a question. Remember, this first week, it's really a question God, show me, show me the places in my world where I'm tempted to be defiled by the king's rations. Show me the place where I'm tempted, maybe I've even succumbed, where I'm blind to the places that I've bought in to the world's dream instead of your dream. Show me the places where I've conformed instead of been transformed and free me to be like Daniel. Amen.